You are listening to the Business Society Podcast with Melissa Houston, CPA, financial strategist for CEOs, and a Forbes.com columnist. The Business Society community is where business owners come together to learn about real business, common problems, and real solutions. Are you a successful business owner who is now ready to learn how to increase your profit margins so that you can keep more money in your pocket and build your personal net worth? You are in the right place. With over 20 years of experience working with business owners, I share with you real advice that will help you increase the profit in your business and build your net worth. I know you're a genius at what you do, regardless of what profession you're in, and I'm here to help you make sense of the money and other pressing business issues. Have a business problem? We'll find real business solutions. Sherry Greco-Reikes is co-founder, principal, and chief visionary officer of Rappaport Reikes Capital Management, an independent SEC-registered investment advisor since 2005. Sherry is the architect of the firm's Maximize Your Return on Life solution, which aligns clients' financial planning with their core values. She is a highly sought-after speaker on financial planning and values, author of the Maximize Your Return on Life blog, and enjoys mentoring women in the wealth management profession. Sherry has been recognized with the five-star Professional Wealth Manager Award for the past nine years, and in 2020 was recognized with an appearance in the Women in Wealth section in Fortune magazine. Hi, Sherry. Welcome to the Business Society podcast. I am so happy to have you here today. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here too. That's awesome. So we are going to jump right in and talk a bit about your book. Would you like to do the intro for your book? Sure. My book came out this summer. It's called Maximizing Your Return on Life. Invest your time and money on what you value most. And the book is kind of broken down into four sections. The first one is really your early memories of money, how that affects how you handle money. The second one is really to articulate your values, to figure out what are your core values. Those are your major beliefs that really drive the next two decisions. How are you going to spend your money and how do you spend your time? So those are the four major concepts of the book. You know, I love that because you're speaking my language. So I really love the fact that you touch on your early childhood memories when it comes to money. And then you talk a lot about values when it comes to creating your financial goals. So those are the two things that I really want to zero in on today, because these are things that I love to talk about with my clients. And I really would like to, you know, just dive into the conversation a little bit more and hear your perspective on why, you know, exploring these issues are so important when it comes to managing your money. Sure. And I'd like to start with early memories of money because I work with a lot of clients, whether they're in charge of their own finances or they have a spouse and it all begins, you know, how did your parents handle money? Was money talked about at home? Was your parents always worried about money? And it until I bring that up to these clients, they never connect the dots. All of a sudden there's this aha moment. Oh my gosh, I'm handling money this way because this is what I saw at home. And so I like to really start with that discussion. And I and and I have some exercises in the book to really take some time and reflect back uh, about that. 
So what kind of exercises are there? I have things like what, you know, what was your early memories of money? How did you feel when you got your first job? What did that feel like to have your own money? How did your parents handle money? What is when you hear the word money? Do you feel good about it? Do you feel fearful about it? Why? And to really deep into that. And then I always want them to think of a story. And I have, if it's okay with you, I have a story in the book about my early memories of money. And it, it kind of, there's a couple stories, but one that really reflects a lot, which we'll go into the next section. But I had gotten my first job when I was 16. I made some money and I was talking to my dad because I got my paycheck and I was debating. My parents were very good. I used my own money for my own spending. And I was debating about going to Bruce Springsteen or buying fry boots. And I didn't have enough for both. And I thought if I talked to my dad, he'd say, oh, I'll pitch in. Here's some money. You could do both. But instead, he looked at me and he said, Sherry, you can have anything you want. You can't have everything. So pick what's most important. And that has stayed with me most of my life. And I went to Bruce Springsteen and I went with my friends and I saw the boss and I realized that, I, that I'm a person that likes to spend money on experiences, but everyone's different. But it made me really think. And I talked to my clients about it and my kids. And I think it was a really good lesson, that early memory of money. You can have anything you want, not everything. Yeah, I love that quote. That's definitely valuable. So you deal a lot with women and how they manage their money. Is that correct? Oh, yes. Yes. So what types of issues do you often see with women and, you know, dealing with their money? There's a couple different subsets. So if it's a woman that's divorced, I find that they really have never sat back and looked at their own values. Often, They've taken the values of their spouse and they never controlled the money. So they let the spouse control it. And all of a sudden they're, I call them women in charge. They're now in charge of their money. So I really spend a lot of time working on budgets, working on knowing what their assets are, working on, do they have proper estate planning? Do they have the insurance they need? And really kind of looking holistically, but starting at the main point is what do they want to achieve? Because now on their own. So we spend a lot of time with that. You know, other, I have very successful business women, but they're so busy running their business. They're so busy working that they need a partner in decision-making. So I become that person that helps them with the financial decision. And we've kind of developed a personal CFO checklist that we work with all of our clients on. And we find that if we have this checklist and we have 30-day goals, 90-day goals, six-month goals, we can get things accomplished. And it's all charted out and we work with it on that. But sometimes I have to get the root of the emotion of money because, you know, you have the client that has all the money they can ever need and they don't want to spend it. They're too nervous. Or I have the client that wants to spend that doesn't have all the money they need. So I have to dig in and why do you feel that way? Why why is this money affecting your emotions? So it's a lot. I often say that money is the most emotionally charged topic. Would you agree with that? Yes, I do. Because, you know, it's, I, I think a lot of, Prior, a lot of parents never wanted to talk about money with their kids. And I think it goes back that 
the generation or two before us, they had pension plans. They had other sources of money. They didn't have to deal with their own money. They didn't have to set up 401ks or IRAs. And it was almost taboo to talk about money. You can't talk about money. You know, that's it was considered rude. Rude, yeah. right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. So the dinner conversations were never about money. Never. Fortunately, my dad was a banker in the banking business. So all we talked about was money. And I worked at the bank when I was young, when I worked through high school and a little bit through college. And, you know, it's in the book, but I would see the stress of people's faces, even as a teller, you know, they would come in and they didn't have the money in their account to do something. And then I worked in the loan department and, you know, they wanted to pay for something for a child or get a new car. And it was always, always stressful. And I just thought if I could spend my career taking that stress out of money, giving people peace of mind, if I can change a few lives, it would be worth it. Oh, yeah, I love that. And is that what led you led you to opening your own firm? It led, Yeah, because a couple, you know, the own firm I found, we started the firm in 2005. And it was the heyday of the hedge funds and, and private equity. And tech stocks had just finished. And all, a lot of advisors, all they wanted to talk about was how smart they were and these great stock picks and these great funds. And I, of course, we manage money well. We use indexing. We use broad-based, low-cost, diversifying funds. But I wanted to talk more about, you know, is there a family member you need to help? Is there a goal that you have? Do you want to work this hard for how long? Do you want to buy a second home? Do you want to start a business? So I felt that the big firms were all about bringing the business and move on. And I wanted to build a business that really was much more holistic, that really worked with clients and offered this indexed approach, which at the big firms back in 05, no one gave you a high five to offer an index fund because it wasn't sexy. It wasn't a lot of fees. And so we were kind of pioneers. Now, Fast forward, a lot of firms are indexing because they find the benefit of it. But, you know, if I'm going to work, I want to really work with my clients and get to know them and really help them maximize the return on life. Yes, we'll return, you'll maximize the return on investments, but it's more than that. Yeah, I love that because that is definitely the the holistic approach that I take with my clients as well. And it it helps to give them that financial confidence to know that they can, you know, figure out their money situation on their own. They don't need to depend on anybody. They're learning, they're growing. And the financial empowerment, like the result of that, it's just life changing. Would you agree? Oh, definitely. And and again, it's in the book. My dad died at a very young age and I saw my mom had to deal with all this. And I just think, again, society, not to generalize, but, you know, it's the men usually are in control. And I spent a lot of time in my career educating women. I thought it was so important that there's just a few things you need to know. You know, what are your assets? What are your debts? What's your budget? And the liability planning, the what if, do you have enough life insurance, disability insurance? You have those things covered and you have peace of mind. And I work, when I work with clients, there's always one spouse that takes control. I want them both there. I want them both to know so that they can make decisions based on their values together. Let's talk about, you know, creating values and, you know, having values in your financial goals. So what does that mean to you? Yeah. So, you know, I, when I start with my clients, I have a list of about a hundred values and I want them to look it over and I have them do it separately. If, if there's a husband and a wife or partners or whatever the situation is, 
I ultimately, they come down to five goals. And a lot of common ones are health and family. But some surprising ones that come up, Some I had one couple where one of the spouses wanted flexibility. Some of their fondest memories were eating pizza on the floor when they first started working. And they were both attorneys working 80 hours a week. They had three homes. They couldn't even visit the third home. They were stressed out all the time maintaining the homes. There was no flexibility. And we worked out, of, we took those goals and those values and we built it into a plan that one of the spouses was able to go 30 hours a week and, and do creative writing, which the spouse always wanted to do. And they, they sold two of the properties and decided to rent. They had one in California and they said they could stay at the nicest hotel or Airbnb and not have to worry about it. And it just, I just saw the sense of relief and this happiness. And they kind of laughed at the end, you know, we've spent more time picking out the color of our car than we ever did discussing our values. And until you brought this up to us and I get emails all the time, you know, and we call it investing in your values. I invested in my values today. We, you know, went on this great bike trip and thank you. And, you know, we weren't tied down to go to one of our three homes and it, yeah. really, it really was transformation for them. Yeah, I love that because, you know, there's a lot of value in simplification as well. You know, like when we have too much going on in our lives and we don't have the ability to enjoy it, what's the point of, of having that? Like, it just doesn't seem to, to be a purpose there. Yeah, and I often find when I start the values discussion, so many people's values are sustainable what they appear to feel society's values are. Yes. So I work hard. Society thinks I should have a big house. I work hard. Society thinks I should have a big car. I should have jewelry. I should have designer clothes. But is that really your value or is that society's values? And it becomes a slippery slope if you are not in tune with your own values. You shouldn't let anyone decide the values. The The conflict and the stress in relationships, which money often does cause a lot of stress in relationships when the spouse's goals and values are not aligned. So one spouse values the big home and in the country club and the other one, you know, wants some peace of mind and doesn't want to work that hard. And you need to come together and and figure out what is going to make both of you happy because if you start to chart with these different values, there's going to come a conflict at some point. So when you are faced with clients who have differing values, do you become somewhat of a marriage counselor? <laughs> I do. And that, that really caused me during COVID, I got my certification in behavioral finance because it is so interesting. And, and you know, I've been doing this so long, but I finally was able to define some of the terms that that these behaviors are. And and so when you can kind of enlighten, I don't even think they realize it because we're so busy and everyone's going day to day. But, you know, and so instead of spending an hour discussing the great funds that we have, we spend that hour talking about the values and opening these discussions. And, and you know, I ask some questions like, what was something you enjoyed doing when you were younger? What brings you joy? Are you still doing it? Look at your values. Let's look at where you spend your money. Are they aligned? You know, I hear none of you mentioned the big home with the large real estate taxes. You all mentioned other values. Why are you spending 50% of your money towards that? Maybe that's some, and what is really important is that values change over time. Yes, when you're younger, you may have some values when you're older. And so you need to kind of revisit this every now and then. Do you think that maybe COVID changed a lot of values for people? I definitely, and that's why I really spend a lot of time with my clients, because I think that people, 
really, when you really are faced with a major change in your situation, you know, if you lost a job, it's a great opportunity to revisit your values when you look for a new job. You know, if, you know, a lot of my clients' budgets had changed a lot during COVID. And did you really need to be spending money on going out or things that you did before? So it's a, it's a reset. It's a good time to really take a step back and look at what's most important to you. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely a reset. What sort of the common changes that you see with clients when you work with them? Yeah, I mean, a, a big one I often see is health is a big value. And, you know, I I wrote a blog on that, you know, health costs are very expensive. And so, you know, I'll have client that says health is one of my top priorities, and they're working too much, they're not spending, you know, I'll say, well, why don't you get a personal trainer? They'll be, oh, that's so expensive. And I'm like, but if health is your value, get a trainer, get a nutritionist, take care of it. And I've had a couple clients that have embraced that. And it, it really has helped. I had a client that you know, family was a big value. And her daughter out in California had a baby and she was sleeping on the couch all the time and it caused all this conflict. And, and I said, you know, you have the money you have. And I always ask my clients to answer these two questions. Is that expense? So the money you're writing the check for aligned with your values and aligned with your budget. And if it's yes, yes, don't feel guilty, move on. So this person was like, well, you know, I have a a couch. Why do I need a hotel? Well, she now stays at a hotel. Every time she's visiting her daughter, I get a a message. Oh, this is just life changing for us. You know, we're not fighting about it. So, I mean, it doesn't have to be major. I had a client that loves to cook, but hates to prep. I'm like, buy the cut up vegetables, get one of those food services. She's like, oh, but I can buy an onion for a dollar. Why would I spend two fifty for a cut up? I said, it's not going to change your life. She cooks up a storm now. So it doesn't have to be a gigantic change. It could just be a small change that makes you feel better. Absolutely. And why do you think it is that, especially for women, we tend to hesitate when it comes to investing in ourselves to make improvements for ourselves? Yeah, a lot of us are are caregivers, you know, we we put everyone else in front of us, you know, whether it's a parent or a child or a cousin who needs us. And, you know, I think that's kind of a role that we've grown up to. So when I, when I have these changes, I, I say, you know, put it in your calendar, treat it like any other appointment, put your training, put your personal trainer in your calendar. I often find women, I don't find it as much in men. And again, I hate to generalize, but a lot of my clients are very involved in philanthropic endeavors and they don't just sign up to be on a board. They do it 110%. But at the end of the day, if health is your value and you're at, at charity meetings four days a week and you're not able to do this, well, maybe you don't need to be on four boards. Maybe two is going to help you fulfill it and you can help in other ways. So that's the piece with the time. You know, it's, I, I, you know, there's exercises in the book. I have them, you know, what are the top five things you're spending your time on? You know, because, and how is that aligned with your values? And, you know, you got to mirror those two things. You know, if family is a priority, are you spending enough time with your family? Is flexibility, peace of mind. I had a client who would venture. She looked at the list. She's like, oh my gosh, I love adventure. I used to be so adventurous when I was younger. You know, so she booked a trip to Costa Rica and did zip lining and did all this stuff. And she thanked me. She goes, you know, I forgot that I love that. You know, you get on life just keeps going and you get on this train and sometimes you got to stop at the station and take a step back. So it's, it's been a fun journey because I feel like I live this journey with them and it just 
you know, they've worked hard. Money's just a tool. You need to use it in what's best for you. Absolutely. And do you see, like, I, I know that I've seen a lot of it in my line of work, and maybe you have the same experience as well, where there's fear around making money. Have you encountered that with your clients and, and guided them through? Like, I know that I have clients where it's like, they're business owners, and they're like, you know what, I'm okay to make a certain amount, because that's all I need. And my sort of objection to that is like, is that all you need? Or like, or do you want more? And it's okay to want more. And you know, if you are working towards it, and earning your living in a respectful, truthful, value aligned way, is it okay for you to want more? So do you have people who sort of have that fear about wanting to earn money, afraid that, you know, if they do become wealthy, it's going to change who they are? I do a little bit. And I saw some of that with COVID. I had some clients, you know, really had a lot of guilt around it because their business might have been flourishing and they had a job and the market was up and they just kind of felt like their financial situation got better and so many others didn't. So that's, again, the values. Maybe you donate, maybe you give back, maybe you give your time. But, you know, you shouldn't feel if you've worked hard use the money in a positive way. Exactly. And it's, it's very hard. And, you know, there's also that imposter syndrome, you know, people feel like, well, you know, I can't, I'm going to wake up one day, and it's all going to be gone. You know, like I, this is this, how can this really be? How can I be making X amount of money? And, and so they have the fear around that. But I, I don't find it as much as some of the guilt that has been lately, that, you know, some of my clients say the world is just really tough right now. And they've been very fortunate during COVID. So yeah, there's but you know, there's so much good that can come out of having money as well. Like you can do a lot of good. And, and just because you have earned money doesn't mean that you're going to, you know, turn into somebody who you're not, which would be like, you know, a bad person or whatever. Now, if there's one thing that you really want listeners to take away from this conversation, what would that be? Yeah, I spend a lot of time in my book. The, you know, the first is obviously live, be true to your values. But one of the key concepts I feel is the key to financial happiness is living within your means. If you live within your means, and that's basically spending less than you have coming in, you know, get living within your means, you can set up an emergency fund because there's emergencies. We've seen it happen. You can have flexibility in your career. You know, if you want to make a career change, there's money there. You can help a family member if in need. And you can go to bed and have peace of mind knowing that your financial situation is under control. And when I when I get new clients, and sometimes there's a lot of catch up because they didn't live within their means for so long. And they're coming to me later in life. And we've got to figure out a way that they'll be able to live with the resources that they have. So if you can live with, and if you're young listeners, live within your means, fund that 401k, start saving early, get in the habit. You won't regret it. You'll think of me 30 years from now and you'll say, thank you for having me live within my means. Absolutely. It's definitely important to invest in yourself. But, you know, at whatever age, it's never too late. That's definitely something to consider for listeners as well. So if listeners want to reach out to you, where can they find you? Sure. I have a website, sherrygrecorikus.com. I'm sure you'll have it in your... I will leave it in my link. And um, the book is Maximize Your Return on Life, Invest Your Time and Money in What You Value Most. It's on Amazon. You know, there's more about it on my website. 
and I write blogs, a lot of lifestyle blogs about values, weaving in financial concepts. That was a big reason I wrote the book is, you know, I feel my clients have the benefit of this holistic planning, but I thought I could reach a lot more people through the book with the same concepts. Yes, I absolutely love your your premise of your book. And I do plan on reading it at some point. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> I have a chapter in the book of maximizing the return on life of loved ones. And one key thing is for family members is sharing your values and trying to pass. And I always say, you know, you can pass on your valuables, but how nice is it to pass on your values? to your loved ones. So I encourage people to really, the readers to spend some time, you know, whether it's over Thanksgiving or a holiday to really talk about what's important to you and the values and share them with your loved ones, because that's important. Absolutely. You know, get that communication going, get that conversation started. And it's not taboo to talk about money. It's totally okay. And I appreciate you joining us today, Sherry. Thank you so much. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Business Society podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with someone you think would love it. Until next time, I'm Melissa Houston. And never forget, nobody will ever care about your money as much as you do. So never give your financial power away.